Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. To become a supporter of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. All right, welcome everyone. This week we're reading Vayishlach. It begins at Genesis chapter 32, verse 4, and goes through the end of chapter 36. Before I go any further, I do want to give a content warning that this parsha discusses, and I'm going to touch on, issues surrounding sexual assault and violence. You won't hear anything really graphic on this podcast, but those are the topics of the parsha, and we're going to relate them to current news as well. This parsha is the continuation of the story of Jacob. In fact, this is the parsha where Jacob returns to meet his brother Esau again. This is the parsha where he wrestles with an angel, where his name is changed to Israel, the one who wrestles with God, and where he returns to the land of Israel to settle there and live out the rest of his life. Until next week when all the stuff happens with Joseph. But in the midst of all of these stories about Jacob we get one very painful story about the rape of Jacob's daughter, Dina. Now, Dina is one of Jacob's 13 children, the only girl. I know we usually talk about Jacob as having 12 sons, but of course, there are actually 13. And the very fact that we usually don't talk about Dina already points up an issue of her general absence from the text So before we even get to the story, let me read this passage from Rabbi Laura Geller. This is from the Women's Torah Commentary that was published by the CCAR Press. She writes, The previous chapter tells that Jacob crosses the river with his 11 children. But Jacob already at this point has 12 children. What about Dina, his daughter? What happened to her? Rashi, quoting a Midrash, explains, He placed her in a chest and locked her in to hide her from Esau. Hiding Dina, locking her up, is a powerful image about silencing a woman, and that silence echoes loudly through the rest of the Torah. So we will see just that happening in this parasha, which is ostensibly about Dina, but in which Dina doesn't really get much of a voice. This is the beginning of chapter 34. It says, Vatetse Dina bat Leah asher yaldalia akov lirot bi benot haaretz. Dina, the daughter whom Leah had borne to Jacob, went out to visit with the daughters of the land. Vayar ota Shechem ben Hamor. Now Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, chief of the country, saw her. Vaykach ota, vayishkav ota, vayaneha. He took her, and he lay with her by force. In other words, he raped her. So here in the midst of all these beautiful stories about Jacob and Esau and reconciliation. We have a story about Jacob's daughter being sexually assaulted. And it gets worse, because it turns out that Shechem, the man who raped her, now wants to marry her. And Jacob's sons, who are understandably angry about what happened to her, make a kind of a deal where they say, okay, 
will let you marry her as long as you and all the people in your town are circumcised. And the people of Shechem, amazingly, agree to this. They all circumcise themselves. But once they've done so, we read this in verse 25. On the third day when they, all the Shechemites, were in pain, Simon and Levi, two of Jacob's sons, brothers of Dina, each took his sword, came upon the city, and slew all of the males. And we're told that the other sons of Jacob also came upon them and plundered the town because their sister had been defiled. So Simon and Levi and all the brothers perform this act of violent vengeance. They come into the town where their sister was assaulted and they kill every man. First, having weakened them, they tricked them into circumcising themselves so that they'd be weak and convalescing, and then once they were, this is what they did. So as I said, this is a very troubling Torah portion because it begins with rape and ends with violent massacre. It begins with sexual assault and it ends with a violent act coming in vengeance for another violent act. So I want to say a few things about this. First of all, we're living in a time of war. And one of the things that precipitated this war, we know, are the horrific acts of violence that Hamas perpetrated on October 7th, including the rape of many Israeli women. One of the things that Israeli authorities are doing right now is documenting the sexual assault that went on on October 7th, both because it's a war crime and it needs to be prosecuted, and also because it must be acknowledged in order for society to begin to come to grips with these events. I'm quoting here from Tamar Herzig, who is a professor at Tel Aviv University. She suggests that the use of rape in conflict must be acknowledged. It isn't something that can be ignored or minimized as part of an overall conflict. Rather, she said, it has to be studied in order to understand its impact. And in the article I read, she noted the almost complete avoidance of rape in the course of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict up until 2019. And she calls the October 7th event a watershed event because of the immense amount of the use of this tactic. And no society can come to grips with the totality of the conflict without acknowledging the toll that sexual assault plays on its victims. I'm quoting here from, again, Tamar Herzig, who says, Denying its occurrence not only adds to the suffering inflicted on its female victims, but also undermines the most significant achievements of global feminism in the last half century, thereby endangering girls and women across the world. Part of the danger here, I think, is for a society to focus on the overall toll of violence and suffering at the expense of the voices of the women who were assaulted. And by the way, in the Torah portion, that's exactly what Dina's brothers do. They get so up in arms that they go off and avenge Dina without ever really stopping to ask how best to care for her. And so again, I'll quote here from Rabbi Laura Geller in the Women's Torah Commentary. She writes, What happens to Dina in the aftermath of her ordeal? We don't know. 
we never hear from her, just as we may never hear from the women and girls in our generation who are the victims of violence and whose voices are not heard. So the message of some of these modern commentators, and especially women's voices reading this text, is listen to Dina. Listen to all the Dinas. Listen to the women who have been sexually assaulted, both in this war scenario that we're now seeing today and also in any given situation that involves sexual assault. It's not just about vengeance. It's also about healing through hearing their voices. Which brings me to a second point about this Torah portion and its message. Now, I want to state this gingerly because I'm not looking to enter into a policy discussion, but rather one about values. The Torah seems to indicate here that violence does not avenge violence. That is to say, we might be able to understand why Simon and Levi did what they did. We might be able to relate to their desire to avenge what happened to their sister. By the way, I've even seen some Twitter comments this week that make exactly that point, that point out that Simon and Levi avenged when even one sister was raped. Look at what happened to us on October 7th. But I think that's the wrong tact here. I think it's the wrong attitude. The Torah does not applaud their actions. In fact, the Torah condemns them. Toward the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob is going to give a quote-unquote blessing of all 12 of his sons. And those of you who've been studying with me in the past know that these blessings aren't really exactly blessings. Here's what Jacob says about Simon and Levi in Genesis chapter 49. He says, Shimon Levi achim. Simon and Levi are a pair. They are brothers, it says. Their weapons are tools of lawlessness. Let not me be included in their counsel. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their wrath so relentless. So Jacob condemns Simon and Levi for what they do here. And in so doing, I think the Torah wants to remind us about the danger of the cycle of violence, to remind us that violence only begets further violence. Now, I don't want to suggest here that there is never a time when violence is necessary. Maybe there are times when you have to wage war, and there's a lot of the Jewish world that thinks that right now is one of those times. But regardless of how you judge the righteousness of the current war, I think the Torah is trying to warn us about the dangers of using violence as a policy at all. That, first of all, it says that violence absolutely cannot be vengeance. The purpose of waging war cannot be to avenge something that happened to us. And second of all, even if we do deem the use of war to be righteous, we have to be aware that we are contributing to a cycle of violence. Whatever violence we wage, no matter what its aims, no matter how righteous it might be, it will cause suffering in large scale. It will contribute to a cycle of future violence, even if it also serves the purpose of defanging the terror organization that attacked us. It will create a class of victims. People will die. People will be hurt in the violence. And so there again, even if you believe in the righteousness of your cause, you have to make space for the voice of the person who is suffering. 
And here's where I would condemn people like Smotrich and Ben Gvir, who refer to Palestinians as animals, or who refer to them as Nazis, who have no compassion for the suffering on the other side of the border. When the Torah eclipses Dina's voice, when it makes her disappear, we long to hear from her. We know that her voice is crucial in understanding this scenario. And the same is true, the same must be true, for the voices of victims of violence on both the Israeli and Palestinian sides of the border. Their voices have to be at the center of this whole thing. That's the human story that needs to be heard. So here again, as has so often been the case in the last two months, I don't have any policy recommendations. But I think that the Torah is trying to warn us, to warn us gravely of the dangers of violence, the dangers of vengeance, and the dangers of dehumanizing victims of violence on either side of the border, of turning people into numbers rather than hearing about their experiences. We cannot close our eyes to the suffering of individual people, no matter how inconvenient or how inconceivable their suffering might be for us. And we also shouldn't just charge ahead with a policy that will further the cycle of violence without thinking very carefully about both the human toll and the long-term impacts. As we read this painful Torah portion and we watch the painful events going on in Israel and Gaza, I hope and I pray that what can come out of all of this is a lasting peace, a state of security for all the people who live in the land that two peoples hold dear. Let us learn to listen to the voices of suffering in this conflict so that sometime soon we can bring about an end to this conflict. Thanks for listening, everyone. 7-Minute Torah is a production of La Asok, Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoyed this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasok.org, L-A-A-S-O-K dot org. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.